1: It's 707, 33 degrees outside. My friends, we're going to double that today. We're going to get over to the mid-60s this afternoon. It's going to be a glorious day for being outside. And if you have a question about what you ought to be doing outdoors in your garden, in your landscape, with your trees, with your shrubs, with your lawns, whatever you got a question about, this is the friendliest, most enthusiastic place you can talk to on a Saturday morning about your garden. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Rees I am the Georgia gardener, and I'm here to help you be more successful doing whatever in the world you want to do. George is down in Griffin, Georgia, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, George. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm well, sir. How can I help?
2: Okay. Uh, back in the fall, uh, our pepper plants, we planted them in a large plastic tub, probably 200 gallons. Uh, we moved them inside. There's six jalapeno plants and four bell pepper plants. Got it. Uh, there's some natural light in our basement, and it never gets below about 50 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the peppers are all growing oddly shaped. The, yeah. the We made a few bell peppers, but this morning when I went down, uh, I probably got 20 jalapenos on the plant right now and, and blooms, but they're yeah. all oddly shaped. Yeah. Is there something I can do
1: to change that? or? Sure. I got two things right at the top of my head. One is light in the basement unless you have, I mean, an immense light system. I don't mean two fluorescent shop tubes. I mean you have to have 20 fluorescent shop tubes over that big tub. You don't have enough light. Light is key for peppers and tomatoes and all the outdoor vegetables. And if you are in a basement, boy, you got to have some light, George. And that will help a little bit, well not a little bit, it'll help a lot with the uh, misshapiness of the fruit. And number two, you need to have better pollination. That is actually outside. The usual cause of misshapen fruit outside is poor pollination. Just it didn't get pollinated on one side of the ovule, and so the other side develops bigger. And so you have sort of a a nose on one side or a duck's beak on one side and a, a body or head or eyeball on the other side. And so pollination is part of the deal, too. And for that, that's pretty easy to fix on tomatoes and peppers and things like that. Just take a little fan, just a little oscillating fan, and uh, let it go back and forth for an hour a day. It's plenty. And it'll shake the flowers. It'll move the pollen around in the flowers just fine, just beautifully. And so the fan will fix that. But the light is what you really have to work on. Okay, sir. Thank you. All right. Let me, let me just give you a couple couple more answers here, George. So what is your goal here? Do you want to grow peppers throughout the season or throughout the year and have some for your chili? Or what are you going to do?
2: The plants were growing so good. Our basement is open, nothing in there. There's yeah. a little natural light. So we decided just to drag the tub in the basement I got to it. see if it would grow.
1: Ah, and yeah. they're really
2: growing. We, yeah. We, Used a lot of the peppers uh we had peppers at christmas time took pictures of our giant pepper plant terrific and it was just funny
1: yeah, funny, funny, funny. So if you want to go further with this, George, I'm just saying you need more light and uh, you may try a smaller scale growing area rather than the big one that you have right now with just a few shop lights down there. And you got to put those fluorescent lights real close to the foliage. It cannot be four feet away from where you grow it. It needs to be four inches away from the foliage of your plant. And that'll okay. give you enough light to give you some peppers and tomatoes and whatever you want to grow during the during the wintertime if it doesn't get too cold down there.
2: Yes, sir.
1: All right. Have a good day. Thank you. Keep working with it, George. Give me some success in a couple of months. We want to hear more about it. Paul is out in Rockdale County in Conyers, Georgia. He joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Paul. Good morning. Hey, how are hey. you today? Hey, man, I'm fine. What's up? Uh, I've got a... Some uh, older pecan trees—they're probably seventy
0: years old,
1: yeah—and
0: they quit producing, yeah. Um, and I noticed that uh, the leaves, after they put the leaves on, they'll drop, and there's little uh, black dots on the leaves, oh, yeah. and sometimes a little raised area, like warps, and also we get webworms.
1: Sort of. Sure, okay, go ahead.
0: Uh, every fall, we get webworms in them. Yeah, uh, but they're too big to spray, of course. Yeah, of course. And uh we've never um uh, fertilized these trees mm. in a long time mm. and their steward is what they are.
1: Okay. If i described Paul and I said, you know, Paul is looking a little peaky today. We haven't fed him in about a week and a half. He doesn't look like he's healthy or anything. You would say, well, feed Paul. Paul Paul would be so much better if he were fed, and the same goes for your pecan trees. They need feeding, Paul. Okay. So we go out. This is pretty easy to do. You walk out this afternoon, and you put your palms. You hold your palms out in front of your chest. One palm on one side of the trunk, one palm on the other side of the trunk. And then you back off about a foot, and you say, "How much distance is between my palms? How thick is my pecan tree trunk?" Mm-hmm. And for every inch of thickness, that denotes one pound of ten, ten, ten. Okay. So you run to the store, and you get a couple of bags of ten, 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 because that's, I'm sure they're big. I mean, they will be eighteen, yeah, 20 they inches. are they're they're Big old trees. And big cr- so let's say it's twenty inches thick, just for argument's sake. So twenty inches thick, twenty pounds of ten, ten, ten put it out, Uh, it's a little early now because the leaves haven't started growing on them yet, so let's wait till eh, middle to late March when the leaves are popping out on it. We'll put some fertilizer down then. And then give me another one sometime in the summertime, maybe May, June would be another time to feed. Again, a pound of 10-10-10 for every inch of trunk thickness and make make them grow. You're not going to get a huge pecan crop this coming year because it takes a couple of years for the leaf surface to increase and all that. But within two or three years, if you're regular about fertilizing, you should do it every year. And if you're regular about fertilizing, you'll be surprised what that pecan tree will give you.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, the, the pecans that are produced, when they come down, uh, you crack them open, there's nothing in there.
1: Yeah, really. and they got weevils and, they scab yeah. and the scab. By the way, those bumps, those the wart things that were on the leaves right there, that's really nothing to worry about, nor, the frankly, the fall webworms either. They don't really diminish the number of pecans. The wart thing is called phylloxera. It's a gall that gets on the leaves, but doesn't cause much damage. And okay. the webworms are just caterpillars, and honestly, they're after the real important time of leaf production, and so you can pull them down with a wire or a pole or something like that, and that'll be fine. All right. Sounds great. All right. Thank you. Great talking to you, Paul. Thanks for calling. Yes, sir. At 14 minutes past 7 o'clock, Shabra is in Decatur, GA, and joins us on Lawn and garden. Hi, Wontra. Shabra, good morning.
3: Hi. I was calling to ask you about natural fertilizers for my vegetable garden, container sure. vegetable
1: garden. Sure, sure, sure. How big is the garden? Give me some size here.
3: Well, thanks to you, you gave me an idea about growing in swimming pools.
1: Yeah. <laughs> go ahead.
3: So I have them in swimming pools, and I want to try to do all natural. All right. And I grew sweet potatoes for the first
1: time. Oh, this is awesome. And those sweet potatoes ate at the backyard. Probably they go. <laughs> yeah, they did,
3: and I saw the flower.
1: All right. Fertilizing, I got great news for you. Listen to the pike pick this morning. We're going to have Mickey Gasaway on here at 835 this morning. I promise you, if you take a little ride up to Toco Hill, they're going to have exactly what you need for organic fertilizer for your vegetable garden. It's going to be a pike pick today. Oh, but here's another thing. I mean you don't have to buy what we got on sale at Pike. You can do other organic fertilizer sources. One of them is um, uh, millorganite. Millorganite is composted sewage sludge that has been tested and purified and sterilized and it's easy to use. So millorganite, you can buy that at Pike, buy it at uh, big box stores if you want to. Millorganite works for organic uh, fertilizer. You can use uh, Hollytone is another one. Cottonseed meal is a third one. All these are good sources of organic fertilizer for vegetable gardens, safe to use and make your tomatoes and your sweet potatoes (laughs) grow really, really good.
3: Okay. Thank you.
1: We're just doing our best to keep you successful. That's all we want to do, Shabra.
3: All right. You be blessed.
1: All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks for calling.
3: All right. Bye-bye.
1: I love it when people are excited about gardening. I love it, love it, love it, love it. Mary's out in Tocco Hill, and she joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Mary. Good morning.
3: Good morning. I have a um, Daphne adora yep. that I planted last fall. Okay. Uh, it I'd had Daphne adoras in the same spot for twenty five years, and each of them eventually died. Yeah, and this one has two main branches, and it's just they're just sort of shooting straight up. With uh, buds on the end of them okay. What I want is to know How can I trim and how much can I Trim those back In order to make a bushier plant How tall are they now They're probably about uh, 24, 25 inches Maybe 26 inches tall
1: Wait till the um, flowers are, there's, are there some flowers on it now they Yeah, we are, Each of them has a bud good, good. They should smell They should be satisfied with the smell for them um, As soon as things have let's see what we're gonna say let's do this around the first week of March the flower buds will be gone the flowers will be faded everything's fine but around the first week of March clip the tip three inches maybe off okay. of each one of those uh, limbs what will okay. happen what will happen after that during the summer is new sprouts will occur below the place that you did your clipping and that's what you want you want it to be a bushier thicker fuller plant And by clipping the top three inches off of it, I think you'll have a very nice one. It'll get started, and within the other coming years, it'll get more and more bushy, more and more flowers, and more and more enjoyment for you and the neighbors.
3: Okay. And feed it. I assume as soon as I um, clip, as soon as I clip
1: it. Yeah, sometime okay. in March, April, in there, and all these organic things I just mentioned to Shabra of the Holly tone and melorganite, uh, the EB stone stuff. They all work great for daphnes. They like a nice slow, easy. Uh, organic fertilizer, and they will do great and smell up the whole neighborhood. Thanks for calling, Mary. At 7 18, we'll be back after
0: this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, truck Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend, and the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the lawn and garden advice you need.
1: We can hop on out to the garden this morning with a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Three letters. All you need to remember today, S, U, and N. It's going to be sunny this afternoon. It's going to be mid-60s this afternoon. There's going to be no rain this afternoon. The overnight lows are going to go into to the low 40s this afternoon, or this evening, I should say. It's going to be a great day to be outside in the garden, in the landscape, in the flowers, whatever you want to do. You can give me a call, 404 750 and the next news and weather update will be right ahead, right at the news at the bottom of the hour. Let's see, Danny, 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 Danny joins us on Lawn Garden. Hey, Dan, good morning.
0: Good morning, Walter, how are you?
1: I'm fine, how can I help, my friend?
0: I've got a nectarine tree that I have been letting go grow wild, and it's always produces a lot of fruit, but they're yeah. full of worms. Yeah. And now it's gotten so tall that I can't spray anything, so I want to prune it back okay. quite extensively. I just don't know when the best time to cut it would be.
1: I told a guy earlier this morning that 2.32 p.m. was great, and I think today, for you, 2.35. We'll give you a couple of minutes in there, Danny, but today <laughs> is a great day for pruning nectarines, peaches, apples, pears. Today's a day.
0: So you want to do it when it's cooler outside?
1: Cooler meaning cool enough, but not uh, not freezing because it's miserable to do it then, And, uh, and not 90 degrees either. So now, hey, it's dormant completely, and it'll grow in response to your pruning when the weather warms up a little bit, and now's a fine time. What you're trying to do with a nectarine is to open up the center. You get more leaves and more fruit if you open the center of the tree up. It should not necessarily have a straight trunk in the middle, but Yours probably does because it's older and it's tall. I recognize that. So maybe the best thing to do is to clip out the top couple of feet maybe of the nectarine to give it a little more leaf surface at the top. Mm -hmm. And don't worry too much about opening the center as we would if it were a young tree you just planted yesterday. Okay.
0: And what and when should I spray on it for the insect control?
1: Go to my website and get a full... um, Spray schedule there because you got you got worms, you got cocculio probably, plum cocculio, and maybe some brown rot, and you have to start spraying around the time they bloom. So you need to do your research now, find your insecticide and your fungicide, organic or non-organic. Either way you want to go is fine with me, but spraying is necessary to keep those bugs and the diseases off of them, so you get some nectarines to eat. That's the point of the whole thing. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Walter. You bet. Thanks for calling, Danny. Bye. 404 is the number on Lawn and Garden. First thing next half hour, we're going to have the weekend prize pack. We'll give somebody something that will be very valuable. And I have a great anticipation of talking to Robert over in Covington about GMOs versus hybrid tomatoes. What is the difference? What are heirloom tomatoes? How can we find out more about that? We'll talk to Robert in just a minute right after news. <laughs> on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do. I was at a party last night, and my host uh, turned on the lights in the backyard, and it was a pretty sparse backyard. There was not a lot of grass back there and sort of muddy, and I said, well, what... What do you want back there? He said, well, it would be great if I could have grass, but i got trees all around. It's shady. It's got mud, water coming through it. I don't know about that. And I agree with him. Sometimes success means finding out what your environment can support. In his case, he needs more paving, hardscape, stone, something to enjoy the backyard, but he doesn't necessarily need grass. And frankly, unless he cuts down the trees, he's not going to have grass. Grass does not grow in the shade. That's not its nature in, in the world. So um, if you have a question about your environment in your backyard and what might work the best or maybe not work so well, 404 750 Real quickly, let's give away their weekend prize pack. Ash is going to think of a number between two and seven. As we both commented, this is not the greatest weekend prize pack in the world, but somebody is going to want to go to see the... Atlanta Gladiators. Yes, they are. Some is the family four-pack. You and three of your closest friends, can go see the Atlanta Gladiators. They do not have to be kin to you. We're not going to let your driver's license and ID or anything like that. A family four-pack of tickets to an upcoming Atlanta Gladiators game at the Infinite Energy Arena. Actually, what caller wins? Why not? Goes to caller three. Caller number three. Okay. Let's go for caller number three, Zero seven fifty. Call number three gets to go to the Atlanta Gladiators. Robert is in Covington, and Robert joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Robert. Good morning. Good
4: morning, Walter. How are you this morning?
1: I'm all right. What do you want to talk about, Robert?
4: First thing is, I was reading recently and discovered Russia said they won't accept shipments for our corn anymore because there's too much GMO. Yeah. That's the thing. What's the difference between GMO and hybrid?
1: GMO has been a GMO plant, whether it's corn, soybeans, cotton. Uh, tomatoes, well, tomatoes really are not GMO, but corn, soybeans, and cotton certainly are. Most grown in the United States have been artificially genetically manipulated. Sometimes they've had a gene for resistance to a certain insect, like the corn looper that gets into corn plants and eats them, or to or cotton. Sometimes it's resistance to Roundup, so you can spray weed killer and kill all the weeds, but not hurt the hurt the cotton. And so artificial manipulation of the genes is a GMO, genetically modified organism, and hybrid is something that you've just, by natural means, taken pollen from one superior plant and moved it to another superior plant, saved the seeds, and you have a hybrid plant then.
4: So is there danger to the non-GMO porn, for example, from the GMO porn interbreeding?
1: Yes, there is. I think there's, there are examples, and when you say danger, I'm not sure danger is the right word we want to use here but there is there are examples of GMO corn pollen going over into adjoining fields where their non-GMO corn is being grown and for lack of a better word infecting it, infesting it whatever you want to say and that is a sometimes a political and uh economic Argument that people can make about whether or not that harms the corn in the field next door. If it was an organic corn field that did not want any GMO traits in their corn, would that be a, a uh, damaging thing to them? Eh, it's not my expertise, so I'm not going to comment on that, Robert. But, yeah, you can transfer genes from a GMO plot of plants over to a non-GMO plot of plants, sure.
4: Would that be a question to, to address the the local county agent, extension
1: agent. Or why, why do you want to address it? Tell me more.
4: Well, it seems like it's a major problem. with a major receiver that depends normally on our porn supply. It says they won't accept it. I guess it could be political. I didn't think about
3: that.
1: Well, I think that in the United States, the U.S. EPA and other government agencies that have been charged with determining the safety and non-safety of food sources they have determined and laid out that GMO corn and other edible plants are not harmful to health. You can disagree with that, and it's within, you know, you can say I'm not going to eat anything GMO, but in in the States, it's hard to find non-GMO soybeans and non-GMO corn because simply almost everybody grows it because you can make such superior yields and have such a lack of insect damage to your plants that everybody has it. And Russia has a different opinion about whether GMOs are Damaging to people over there, and they've decided not to. But that's partly political as well, because Russia and the U.S. don't often see each other in the same way.
4: Well, they're a backward country anyway. So we lead the way. I can understand that.
1: Well, maybe. Well, I'm not going to go into the politics of it. I'm <laughs> going to say that <laughs> yes, there, that are, cool. there are there uh, are uh, uh, different ways of approaching the GMO discussion and the G- U.S. One thing that concerns people. me about
4: the Department of Agriculture is for now over two years. They and uh, the Food and Drug Administration have alerted to the danger. but The label says it's got zero uh, hydrogenated oil in it. Mm-hmm. You know, trans fats. It's the labeling requirement is if it has five grams or less, they label it zero. I prefer they label it five grams because sure. five times, say, 32 servings is one heck of a lot of that stuff. that's cumulative. In mm-hmm. a child eats young in peanut butter and they keep on eating it, that's what leaves the heart blockages, that I know.
1: Well, I don't mind that
4: they don't just take it, you know, relabel the on thing or not. So I'm
1: suspicious
4: of the government being the sole determinant of those things, basically the government does quite a few things now that are somewhat harmful to us. I think.
1: I think that there is a lot. I mean, Robert, you touch on a nerve that we just don't have time to talk much more about, but yes, there is a lot of distrust of the government now. And, yes, I understand some of that because there are things the government does that I don't particularly care for at all. But scientists eat corn, too, and they feed their families cornflakes, and they have other things that they eat, the peanut butter with the partially hydrogenated uh, corn oil in it and things like that. So it's not like I think there is a conspiracy to harm Americans, but sometimes there are decisions made that have... And both sides of the question have been examined, and you have to make a decision. So they come down on one side or the other, it's safe, it's not safe, we'll allow this or not allow this in the, in the food source. And so, I mean, if you want the grossest example, that's the one about how many insect parts or rodent hairs are allowed in our food. There is a tolerance, and they will examine your cereal and your peanut butter and your other things to see how many insect parts are in there. They've determined that insect parts and rodent hairs are not dangerous to people, and so they allow them. Although you and I might say, I don't want any insect legs in my peanut butter out here. So a decision has to be made. The government and the agencies charged with that make it. And if you disagree with that, then we've got a political process that says elect different people or do research. I mean, that's the real thing. Do research that disproves their decision and make them, force them, hopefully, to make the decision in the other direction. Robert, thank you for the call. That's a really, really interesting topic. I'm glad you brought it up to us this morning. It's 743 on a Saturday morning. Tommy is in Adairsville, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, Tommy. How can I help? Uh, I have a, a new little cottage home, and I want
0: it has absolutely zero landscaping. Yeah. And during this past summer, I went to your website frequently, and the Bermuda grass was uh, absolutely the, the most plushest yard in the, in the neighborhood. Yeah. So uh, what I want to do on the right-hand side of the house, as you're facing it from the street, is absolutely no sun. In the fall and winter, or yeah. very little in the fall, none in the winter. I want to kind of plant a, come two feet out from the house and plant a flower bed. And I listened to you, I've listened to you for like 20 years, Walter, first time caller. Yeah. So I heard you mention this morning about Pike going there and they have landscape designers. So yeah, sure. But I go to your website too a lot, as I just mentioned. So I want to plant azaleas down through there. Would they survive with no sunlight in the winter?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: They get a lot in the summer. It's going to get about three to three and a half hours of direct sunlight in the spring and summer.
1: I think probably they will. I'm going to... One of the reasons you pay me the big bucks, Tommy, is to have experience in looking at plants and seeing where they do and where they don't. And in this case, I think shade in the wintertime is so much more or less, I guess, important than sunshine or at least some sun during the summer. And you're assuring me the azaleas are going to get some sunshine in the summertime, right?
0: Absolutely. Probably about three to three and a half hours when, you know, probably June, July, August.
1: It's marginal, but it's worth a try. Let's put it that way. I would not plant 500 out there. I might plant three or four this year and just see how they look at the end of a year. And if they look pretty good, Plant three or four more five or ten more, but I don't think I'd go the whole distance the first time I might do a little more experimentation before you see if that environment is go okay for the azaleas you want
0: Okay, and azaleas do they like uh, Like moist areas or just basically normal soil and water on as needed?
1: What they really really want is soil that can get moist and then dry out between waterings. That's, they're a woodland plant, and in the woods, the ground is a lot of humus and a lot of things in it that would allow the soil to dry after a rain. If you put them in a soggy place, I guarantee you that will not be a good place for an azalea. Soggy and shade means death for an azalea. But shade plus well-drained soil that dries out a couple of days after a rain, that's pretty good good soil for an azalea to grow in.
0: Okay, the reason I have that is with air conditioning, uh, System leaks out as water. Uh, yeah, it's you gotta that fix that. Out. I'll fix. stay away from the area, as recommended.
1: Yeah, get a hose. You know, you can move the water from an air conditioner anywhere you want to. Just Absolutely. get a long hose yeah. and put it somewhere else.
0: Okay. Walter, thank you very much. Keep up the good work.
1: Thank you, Tommy. We'll see you soon, my man. Have a great day. It's forty six minutes past the hour. I wanna remind everybody that the weekend not weekend prize 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 pack, the pike pick of the weekend is gonna be at eight thirty five this morning. We'll talk to Mickey Gasway from Pike Nursery and learn what is on sale. Twenty percent off at all the Pike nurseries around town. It's something good, it is something that's appropriate for. The uh, for the um, garden right now. And a reminder that if you you know want to go to my website, there are lots of things on my website that might be useful to you. And a couple of them are the Facebook and Twitter feeds that we do. Ashley has already tweeted this morning about the uh, pike pick that we'll have, teasing what's going to be coming up. And during the week, I'll put all sorts of things that I think are interesting. And this particular week, I've been talking about fragrant plants and what is a good list of plants that will give you fragrance in your garden for months and months and months during the year. What plants do you have in January that smell good? Which ones in July smell good? And uh, that was really fun to put that list together. So people can go to my website, obviously, and look that up if they want to. But you also get these, these little reminders, I guess is the best word, that you get if you just go to my website and click on the Facebook link and like my Facebook page, or click on the Twitter link and follow me on Twitter. And I give you all this good information that I think will help you be happier and more successful in your garden. It's 747 at Newstalk WSB. We'll be back right after this.
0: This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves,
1: the lawn and garden advice you need. I wish I had been in the studio to watch this being recorded. That must have been so much fun. Tell you a story. Tell you a story, yeah. A weekend weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. No gloom this Saturday. All sunshine this afternoon up into the mid-60s. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. It's going to be no, no rain, no precipitation, overnight lows going to the low 40s. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5, AM 750 WSB. And tomorrow you can pick up your copy of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and get coupons. Not only the news, but coupons. $422 worth of coupons tomorrow Rufus is in Decatur Georgia and joins us on lawn and Garden. Hey Rufus good morning Good morning how can I help my friend
3: I'm trying to
4: find out uh what's the proper time to prune a crate merle
1: this afternoon three o'clock <laughs> and why wait, 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 wait. why do you want to prune them in the first place Rufus?
4: Well uh, seems like they go uh, back uh, better. I get more bloom, but I've
1: just tried it. Maybe. There's an upside and a downside to pruning crepe myrtles. And the bottom line to remember, Rufus, you can prune them any way you want to and they'll still bloom. But if you prune them hard, and I see and you see, the landscaper sometimes will prune them really hard and knob them off real good. What that does is make them more susceptible to disease and insects during the summertime. Yes, you may get a few more blooms, but you also are going to have some powdery mildew problems and maybe aphid problems in the summer and fall. So my preference is to not prune them real hard. Take away all the limbs that are thinner than your thumb, thinner than maybe your little finger. Take away those and let it grow like it wants to grow. What do you mean prune them hard? What, what, what do you see them, you go to any, well, I'm not going to say where, uh, you can go to a lot of places in Decatur and around where they just take a chainsaw and knob them off. Yeah. <laughs> knob them off. That's hard. That's, That's hard. That's a hard prune on a crepe myrtle. They do not need to be pruned in order to bloom. They will bloom whatever you do to them. So there's no need to prune them. If you need Because they're too big, prune off everything that's uh, smaller than your little finger. But try your best not to knob them off. I think it's ugly. I mean, really and truly, that's my big objection to it. It's just it looks ugly. They're just ugly. And so Rufus, I don't believe in murdering, as they say, murdering crepe myrtles. But I recognize true that they will they will bloom whatever you do to them. And if you want to see some pictures, you want to see some pictures of what good crape myrtle pruning looks like go to my website just type in crape myrtle and by the way that is one word c-r-a-p-e-m-y-r-t-l-e crape myrtle and you'll see all sorts of pictures of what what i consider to be attractive pruning in the winter time and non-attractive pruning in the winter time plus the research that's based on and whether or not you get the diseases and insects by hard pruning which i do not approve of at all our number is 404-872-0750. Coming up for the next half hour, Ron in Stone Mountain wants to talk about pruning his gardenia and YGa shrub. And Elisa in Marietta wants to know about her raised garden. Tomatoes uh, didn't do so good last year. Had blight. We'll talk about how to cure that. It's 7.58. We'll be back after news.